Welcome to BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. We're joined by judges and legal professionals to discuss emerging trends, regulatory updates, and the latest headlines. We'll provide tips to help your law firms and legal departments make the most out of legal tech. Hi, everyone. I'm Jared Crafton, BDO's Forensic Technology Practice Leader. And I'm Daniel Gold, BDO's Managing Director of the Enterprise eDiscovery Managed Services Practice. Let's get started with this episode's exciting topic. All right, welcome back to another episode of BDO's Legal Tech Talk. Now, Jared, I always tell you at the outset of every single one of these podcast recordings, I'm really excited about our guest. So, Jared, I want to let you know I'm really excited about our guest today. How Uh, excited, Daniel? uh, Well, listen, uh, much of the reason why I'm here at BDO is because of the things I've learned from our guest. He's shaking his head. No, our listeners can't see it. But I'd like to welcome to the virtual recording studio, Chris Haley. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Uh, Great to, you know be with you and uh, Jared in this and uh, happy to share whatever information we can draw out of today's conversation. Well, we're going to draw out a lot out of you, Chris. So for (laughs) all of our listeners, Chris is the director of legal technology at uh, Troutman Pepper and Troutman Pepper Emerge. Uh, Emerge is a wholly owned subsidiary of the law firm Troutman Pepper. But I want to really leave it to you, Chris, to talk about more about like who you are, what you do, right? And a little bit about the evolution of really of Chris Haley, right? Because there's been a lot going on. So I'm going to leave it to you to kind of tee us up here, Chris. Yeah, great. How much time do we have? Because uh, <laughs> that's a pretty open-ended ed- question there. And I'm pretty old. Editors. So. We have fabulous editors, Chris. Don't worry. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, I think the, the logical place for me to start is probably for most people is how I got into the legal technology space. Uh, you know, I've, I've been doing this now for over 25 years. I, I, and probably like most people, I had no idea what, that this industry even existed before I joined it. Um, and in the 90s, certainly this industry wasn't what it is today. But I started on the, for us uh, e-discovery nerds, I started on the right side of the EDRM. I, uh, I was in video prior to the legal industry, and I had a client that uh, needed video depositions edited. And he would always call me on a Friday night, bring over some beers, and we would sit and edit some video depositions together to play in trial the next week. And he, w- he did graphics for attorneys. And uh, in the 90s, it was really when the evolution and start of trial presentation technology and trial director and software called Sanction they're coming into play and they're and using projectors and computers and courtrooms. And so we we for, we joined together our businesses and formed trial exhibits. And so I started as a trial presentation hot seat operator in the courtrooms all over the country. And it really gave me a very different perspective on what I do today, uh, because as a non-attorney, I don't I, I don't necessarily have the legal training. And I haven't been in a courtroom arguing cases before, but I've seen the world's leading experts and cross-examinations and evidentiary objections. And so it really has informed my career from those earliest days on the right side of how we do things and how I've managed teams and managed organizations on the left side of the EDRM to make sure that we're preparing for the right side. So I did that for several years, jury consulting and helping pick juries and helping uh, consult uh, and prep witnesses and those types of things, mock trials. 
that was a lot of travel and a lot of long hours and lots of nights and weekends. And so we wanted to grow our family and I wanted to settle down a little bit more and travel a little less transitioning to technology in the early 2000s um, in the left side of things um, seemed to make a lot of sense. And I was just frankly fortunate and lucky that that was about the same time that this thing we call eDiscovery today really took off in 2004, 2005. So I was on the ground floor of that exciting time in our industry. I went to work at a couple different law firms over that time uh, and, uh, and, and even went back and had my own business for a while. But I've been at Troutman now for uh, 12 years, uh, and it's been a great journey here. And for a lot of reasons, you mentioned we have the subsidiary eMERGE, uh, and that has just been um, a tremendous opportunity and amazing vision that our firm had to, to make uh, that possible and all of the great things that have come from it. We can um, you know, dig into that more. You know, Chris, one of the interesting things is, is that you, we've known each other for 12 years, right? So yeah. yeah, we've, we met your, you know, first day, week, whatever it was month, right? Well, when you got the Troutman and Jared, I remember it well, because Chris told me all those products that you sold to the law firm, we're, we're getting rid of it. We're going to this thing <laughs> called managed services. And, uh, and that was a start right there. Um, spark an idea in your head, Daniel. Uh, just a little bit, just a little bit, Jared. Uh, and what's, what's interesting, though, is is that is that Chris, that you have seen, and this is, you know, evident of the accolades that you have gotten over the years, right? Uh, for those that don't know, Chris, you have been the recipient. You and Emerge and Troutman have been the recipient of Relativity Fast Innovation Awards, uh, which by which I'm a little envious of. And uh, you've received the Innovation Awards, you know, a few times. Uh, you're one of the honorees of the Relativity's AI Visionary. So you've always had this uh, look to the future, right? And that starts, and something I'd like you to talk about, that starts with something that you also did. You built out these dashboards, really, for internal and external, and you had this vision, but it's tied to the core values of what you do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Because one of the things that Jared and I often talk about with in the podcast with our guests is that it's not just about the technology, but it's the people, right? But you are no. driven by your vision and you're driven by the core values. Can you talk a little bit about that, Chris? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I love technology. I love new. I love innovating. Um, so it's natural that I'm going to want to pursue um, anything that's cool and innovative. Um, and if I can find a, a good enough reason to, to get our firm to invest in it, right? Because it's going to make a difference. It's going to be a game changer. It's going to allow us to be better, more efficient, reduce risk. Then those are all things that I can latch onto and push, push forward. Uh, but uh, to answer your question dir directly, it's it, frankly, I, you give me a lot more credit than probably I deserve. It's, to me, it was just common sense. When I started at the firm, we were tracking the work we were doing on Excel spreadsheets when I would ask whether or not we were making any money or whether or not we were productive or, or all these myriad of things that you would want to know in knowing what as a manager or a director and running a business. The answer was often either we don't know, we don't track it, or we have this Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and those weren't good enough for me, right? So I, I wanted some organization, some structure. We were advising our clients about the importance of documentation and process and e-discovery and, and so, so you could avoid process failures. And how could we preach that if we weren't doing it ourselves? 
So we needed to develop um, systems and muscles to be able to track and evaluate and measure our what we were doing, how we were doing it, uh, the success of what we were doing it, and to make sure that we were uh, validating the results and not missing things. And, you know, there was a lot of decisions coming out around that time about, you know, missing custodians and not collecting data that we thought was being collected. And if you look at the case law back in around that, the, the late, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010 era, when the time you're talking about, it was all about process failures and lack of documentation. And so we really poured into that um, as we started uh, and I joined Troutman and we started Emerge into how can we lay that foundation that will permeate through our organization to ensure that we're providing the best service and not and, and, and at a high quality. So we, we build out a custom project management application that tracks these things. We synchronized it um, with relativity so that as decisions and coding decisions and other work was being done in relativity, it was automatically um, synchronizing to tables in our project management application and presenting that information in an easy to understand way on a on a dashboard. And so we were we spent you know I make it sound like it was probably pretty much easier than it was. It's thousands of hours and a labor of love. But um, in fact, we call it Project Elephant now because it's so big that we have to track it, and you can't just eat it in one bite. That every day there's things that we have to do, and what used to be quick and nimble the the application's grown so large and tracks so much that it takes uh, a major uh, project to to make changes now. It sounds like it was a really big organizational change and probably it, there was a cultural shift with that as well. Can you talk a little bit about the change management aspect and, you know, how did you drive that adoption internally at first? You know, how hard was it getting attorneys on board to actually go in there and use it and get answers in a self-service manner where I'm sure before they were just pinging you, you know, you were looking at the spreadsheet and, and giving them their answers, right? You know, could you talk a little bit about that that challenge? Yeah, I think that's where our firm was ahead of its time, frankly. I think there's a couple of others that have that have groups that are similar to ours, but not in, organized in the same way. When I started, we were a traditional litigation support group within a law firm. Uh, and I think uh, my boss, Allison Grounds, managing partner of Emerge today, the leadership at the firm, all the way up to the managing partner of the firm, recognized that what we were doing in litigation support wasn't working. The traditional model wasn't working. We weren't revenue generating. We didn't have money to invest in training and the best technology and those kinds of things. And so um, we needed to change the way that we, we looked at how we did lit support. And so the ultimate, we did a bunch of business plan and thinking, and we ultimately formed a separate subsidiary named Emerge. Um, and, and so that was really what drove a lot of this change, back to your change management question, is that we were doing it different. We, we, we had started from a place of what we're doing isn't working. We need something different. Um, and so we wanted to make a significant investment in the technology and how we do things. And that's what led us down this path of, of change and, and change adoption. Uh, a lot of the, um, the lit support regime that had been in place for years at the firm um, turned over, frankly, after I was here. So um, we, you know, I, we were able to hire a lot of, uh, of 
of new talent and, uh, and innovative minds to join our team that could drive uh, this change that we wanted and help us to, to get there. Daniel mentioned managed services earlier, and that was a key component of this too, is that we weren't out to take over the world or try to do everything ourselves either. We recognized that we needed help in this journey um, and having someone that could help us uh, along the way in that journey was critical to our success, especially in the early years of having someone that could help us manage our infrastructure, someone that we could learn from their existing guides and checklists and all of the things necessary. Because it's not just I have so many clients that call me up and say, hey, Chris, what legal hold software should I buy? I'm like, well, technology, there's a lot of different choices you could make there. And there are pros and cons. and One's always better than another. And that will frankly change every year. But you have to look at the whole picture. It's not just the technology. It's the people and the process. Who's going to do it? How are you going to do it? And if you don't have all three of those pieces that come together, then you're really going to have trouble. <laughs> uh, and so you just buying technology is not enough. And so having a managed service um, arrangement with someone who could help us with overflow on the people side and, and share with us and guide us in the process um, was so critical. We, we both probably offer that to our clients now at our existing companies. And so that, that's something that a lot of our clients find of value from us today is we've now reciprocated and we're, we're a managed service provider for our clients. Chris, I want to stay with that for a second because one of the, I mentioned this before, and, I, and I've always thought this is really interesting about eMERGE, is that one of your core values, on, and as everyone knows about me, like I'm, I'm big on core purpose, core values, right? I love BDO's core purpose, core values. I say it all the time. And, and you have similar, eMERGE has similar core values as BDO. One of them is measurable value. And I want to hone on this because you said it, and I really want to extract more information out of you and Chris on this one. One of your core values is measurable value. So for everyone listening, it's striving to ensure that the cost and burdens associated with managing ESI are predictable, are proportional to the amount at issue and add measurable value. There's the key phrase. I'm a big fan of objectives and key results, right? And I love measurable value. But the thing is, you mentioned before, you said that we have to track, evaluate, measure, validate productivity. Right. So that's really important. But in order to do that, you need to have what you were saying, checklists in place. Now, look, um, it wasn't always, you know, rainbows and puppy dogs and unicorns every day, you know, when we were working together and you're our client, there were, there were some stormy days. Right. But I'll tell you what, the measure, if you will, of value and of success, I thought Chris was taking the lessons learned out of that. And some of the biggest lessons I took out of you, right. For all of our listeners to know us too, is you better have checklists in place, right? Just because you've done something a thousand times doesn't mean that you still know how to, you're still going to check every single box every single time. It's the reason why there's a, you know, there's a wonderful book out there about checklists, right? Yeah. It's like a, a surgeon who's done heart surgery. They've done it a thousand times, but that doesn't mean that there's not a checklist. And once they implemented a checklist and the nurse audibly saying things out loud, like, Hey, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? And, and the surgeon saying, yes, I do. Things go better. You taught me that lesson really, really well, right? May not have been the best of circumstances, Chris, but you taught me that <laughs> lesson really, really well. But like, I've taken that to heart here at BDO, yeah. right? Yeah. And so when I run my practice, I'm like, we got to have checklists, right? <laughs> so talk to, I really want to get some more out of you because I think our listeners could really benefit from understanding from you. What, what are the success factors that must go into place to have the right 
checklist, to have the right measurable values, to drive success internally and drive success externally as well. Yeah, those are great questions. Uh, hopefully I'll do it justice here and uh, recapping what's been a, a lifetime of learning for me because we're certainly not perfect even today. But I think, first of all, let me start by saying we measure value in two ways. We measure value internally in the way that we operate and the way that we deliver services. But we also measure value so that we can help our clients understand the value of what they're deriving from our services. You know, we all work in an industry where there's not a product right at the end of at the end of a good e-discovery matter in fact there's there should be no extra there should be nothing that's delivered right there's no there's you're not going to get a shiny red corvette when you know you're not you're not when you buy e-discovery services you don't come away with a product that everyone loves in fact if we do a good job you don't think about us anymore right that's that's the goal and so we have to have other ways and more creative ways to measure value for our clients but i'll come back to that to your earlier point, though, on the internal measure measuring of value, one, if you just again, the common sense tells you that I have to have a way to measure: Are we doing a good job? And at the pace of change in the you know, in our in our world, not the technology changes every day, the law changes every day, and our cases change every day, right? Our clients change all the time too, and so there's so much change that if you're not tracking everything that you're doing, I'm never going to remember two years from now, forget, forget two years from now, two weeks from now, what I did today, right? And so if you go back and ask me what I did to process that data or collect that mobile phone, I, later, I'm not going to remember it. So documentation becomes critical and, and translating into a legal context, it's just reasonable, right? We, we have to take reasonable steps to make sure that we're uh, doing the right things, that we're tracking the right things, that we're validating our results. Um, a lot of what we do, we don't, you know, we don't call it science. We don't maybe don't call it forensics, but it, it, it does need to be scientific. It does need to be repeatable, measurable. If I do the same thing over and over again, I should get similar results. Um, and so we need to be looking at that from those ways. And if you're not measuring, if you're not tracking, you know, how, how many files and how, what type of files that are getting errored out and processing, um, if you're not tracking, you know, all the details of, you know, over time, these are the number of files from this particular custodian that are responsive, or these are the ones that are privileged. And in the next case, it's a different ratio. Why is that different? If you're not looking at those things, then you're missing opportunities to one ensure great service and the quality of your service, but to to also leverage that information for future success. And and, and if you don't, you know, a lot of what we do today, now that we have ten or twelve years worth of information, is we're learning. We're constantly learning, and our clients are benefiting from now us having. Oh, you want to know how many hours this average type of case and the the granular detail that we can share. And especially on clients, repeat clients, right? Clients that use have used us over a long period of time uh, for their portfolio matters. I can tell you a lot about that client, and we can leverage that to reduce their costs, reduce their risk and the burdens um, in going forward. 
I think that's incredibly valuable information. And I think also what you're describing, like that feedback loop of the continuous improvement, you know, let's let's look at everything we're doing. Let's make sure that we're incrementally getting better. I mean, that's the building blocks of AI and the way that AI learns also, right? And yes. I think, you know, as a segue here, we're kind of transitioning to, I've got two AI innovation award winners here. And I think, you know, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this with you. You know, how, how do you think that, you know, AI, it's, you know, generative AI is the topic of the moment, right? Everybody is talking about this. You know, what is the impact on the in industry right now? Well, uh, I think it's uh, it's an exciting time, right? I think, you know, uh, we, we've lived, again, that's why I love this industry. It's like, we just, it's all these cycles we go through and it's always something new. And I, I love learning. I love problem solving. Um, that's what keeps me driving every day. And so those are the things that I'm very excited about because here we are again at the next crossroads, generative AI, and how is it going to impact our industry? And there are so many ways in ways that we probably haven't even realized or thought of yet. And I think it's going to revolutionize our industry um, and the entire legal industry uh, over the next few years. Uh, I've never seen such momentum, excitement, and energy at our firm, let alone any firm, um, like we're seeing across the entire legal industry. But specifically for us, again, I, it's not so much about, for me, and this is something I, I've shared, I, I know Daniel and I've talked a lot about, but in the past, and you know, for me, it's not so much about trying to, to reinvent the wheel or invent new innovative technologies or algorithms, or I'm not an AI expert by any means. But for me, what I look for in what's happening now is how can I connect our attorneys, our clients to this awesome technology? How can I build a bridge? How can I be a bridge between our legal needs, our challenges, our problems, and this awesome technology that's out there that everyone thinks about, you know, and, and cause you know, how do I get, you know, leverage, you know, some type of algorithm to extract information from a document um, or summarize documents and, and all the, you know, large language models that are happening. So those are the things that I'm looking at is that I'm not necessarily so concerned. I, I would love to be a data scientist and be able to figure out the algorithms, but that's not me. What I am is I'm a problem solver. So I'm a connector, right? How, how can I connect our clients, our needs, our processes, our problems to these new technologies um, and build those bridges um, to make it easy to use, um, to remove the barriers to use, to remove the need for um, our attorneys to have to be experts in AI because we've simplified it and built in these processes into our systems. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And something that you said a, a little while ago, that repeatability, that defensibility, you know, that's kind of the next frontier here, right? We can play with a lot of these tools, these widgets, we can get some cool results, but can we get consistent results? You know, can we use it on a broad set of data across matters? Can we yes. make it defensible, you know, and then can we educate the attorneys that we work with so that they can go in and they can have, you know, well-reasoned arguments around why we should be using yes. these things? Right. And don't forget security, too. Can we make sure that we're not putting our client documents out on the web? Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, is something that we see people doing all the time, you know, playing <laughs> yes. with the latest generative AI tools, not realizing that everything they're pasting out there, you know, is going right, right, right into the cloud. Yeah.
It's interesting. One of the things that people are saying is, and they said this, what, 10 years ago, they're like, oh, technology system review, it's going to put attorneys out of business, right? Um, and uh, the next searching algorithm is going to put attorneys out of business. And now people are saying, oh my gosh, AI is going to put us out of business. You had said something in a blog post uh, in January, Chris, that yeah, I love the analogy that you use. And I'd love for you to talk about it here as well, where you're like, yeah, I look at it as, you know, I often use autopilot in a plane or nowadays in a car and the current use of an autopilot system is not a fly drive com completely, right? It's to help reduce fatigue, right? And I thought it was really interesting because it's it's this, it's the same thing with the generative AI. You know, we've, John and I talked to another guest on the podcast where she was telling us that, that look, if you can help us in, you know, starting that motion for summary judgment, right? For instance, right? Or you can help us start in writing some sort of brief and I don't have to think from scratch, right? Why not? Right. So it's a helper. And someone else said that there's a, a legal research database out there, right? That is, you know, already has AI built into it. Right. So I kind of look at it as the same way. Right. What about you? Know, so explain that, that, that analogy a little bit more to us, if you would, about, you know, it's not really removing attorneys, but it's, you know, it's kind of like the autopilot system. Yeah. Yeah. I, in fact, I, one of the things I, um, I try to practice myself and that I encourage others to do too is that, you got to constantly be learning. Like if you're if you're not constantly moving forward, you're eventually the technology is going to catch you. You know, if, if all you're doing is importing data into a database, then eventually the technology is going to catch up to you, and there'll be someone a way to automate importing data into the database, and your job will be obsolete. So you got to always be learning, always be pushing yourself. Um, I'm I'm always enjoying reading the latest article or following the latest blog or podcast. Um, so that, that's something that I would encourage everyone. To, to do. Um, and, and to your question, I think, you know, we're, we're always got to be pushing kind of the, the envelope of, of what we're doing. We've got to always be looking to how do we um, leverage the latest technology, leverage the latest, um, you know, generative AI in, in doing this um, and in, in trying to move that ball forward in a way that's productive and that's useful. Um, you know, but at the same time that we still require a, a touch of um, the the training and of the human element to it that that's required. And frankly, and I don't want to get too in the weeds about cars. We're talking about e-discovery, but in this analogy, um, the idea that humans are perfect drivers is just wrong. There are tens of thousands of traffic accidents every day, and and they're not using autopilot, right? So I think. In, if there are ways for us to reduce the crashes in our industry of e-discovery by leveraging uh, you know, AI and automation to take repeatable tasks and make, and, and, and make them less error prone um, and, and allow humans to do the higher level thinking and training that's necessary, then I think that's a, that's a good goal for us to, to look to. I think that's a really well-reasoned argument, you know, in favor of more AI in the industry. But back to your analogy for a second, because the way that you described your usage of full self-driving technology sounds very, very much by the book, right? You're doing what they want you to do. You've probably read the manual. You're adhering to the safety guidelines. Now, we've all read about, you know, the guy in the backseat, feet up, newspaper, you know, not paying attention. And that guy crashes. Unfortunately, there's been some, you know, some bad accidents. 
um, you know, do we need industry guardrails, you know, knowing that there's people such as yourself who are doing everything by the book, but there's also the, the guys in the backseat, right? You know, do we yeah. need to think about it more broadly as an industry and put in some guardrails, you know, to make sure that we're not having those crashes? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I, mean, I, I definitely think that for a lot of reasons, biases and ethics reasons in particular are, are critical for, for us when we think about AI. Um, but just even just practical um, examples of we need to be able to validate results. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time with predictive coding and TAR. You know, we've been, you know, give me the F1 score and, you know, and those types of things. We, we, we need those types of validations in what we do, regardless of the technology, regardless of where we're doing. We need to be able to validate the results. We can't just trust. We have to trust but verify. And again, it's not eliminating the human. It's just making better use of only things the human can do and to verify the results that it was intended result for what the human had intended. Chris, one of the, one of the things that, you know, is just so impressive about your career is not only just the passion that, you know, very apparent, I think, to all the listeners listening to this right now, but it's also just the entrepreneurial spirit that you brought to this. And, you know, whether it's kind of forming, you know, a subsidiary to, you know, be able to have the freedom to do things differently. You know, could you could you give our listeners just a little bit of advice, you know, maybe folks who are just getting started in the industry, you know, how do they, you know, how do they be successful? How do they, you know, what are the tips and tricks that can help them, you know, kind of be where you are 10 years from now? Yeah, I would say the probably the number one thing that has helped me be successful throughout my career is my uh, interest in learning, right? Constantly wanting to learn, constantly reading. You know, as a non-attorney in particular, a lot of the reading that I did early on and you know, reading articles and blog posts and things like that were, were a lot of ways to educate me so that I could speak intelligently and interpret complex technical issues into something that an attorney could understand using language that they understand, right? Or just understanding myself, how the law works. And so the, a lot of that foundational information that I was getting was critical. And now today, my reading is not so much necessarily about the legal and the law as it is about you know, AI technology, generative AI, and large language models. And I'm having to constantly teach myself these things um, so that I can speak intelligently about it. And so that, that pattern, that discipline, frankly, it's been easy for me because I love learning about this stuff. It is something that has served me so well throughout it. And then when you combine that by I love puzzles, I love problem solving, I'm curious by nature. So those are those two things when you bring them together, an interest in learning and constant learning together with problem solving is a recipe, I think, for success in our industry, but frankly, I think any industry, and because it, it's innovative, it's I always have an idea. I'm thinking about new things and challenges that we can solve, um, and I can't. I don't always have the purview or the time or the support to solve everything, uh, but the ones that I can, I can. Then, then that's that's great, and I'm well armed and prepared to make the argument of how the of the measurable value that it could bring in in solving that problem. Chris, there is something to be said for curiosity, and and constant learning, uh, yeah. and for for those people that are listening to to create a habit, to create a routine, a ritual. 
to start off reading uh, just, you know, a couple chapters, maybe even one chapter a day in a book to your point and be a continuous learner. There is so much value to that. You could read about how to be a better reader. You could read about how to be a better problem solver, read about how to ask better questions. Uh, there is an infinite level of value, Chris. By the way, you are one of the early subscribers to my gold standard e-discovery newsletter way back yes, in the day. Yes, I remember yeah. it well. I, did, yeah. I read that religiously, yes. Yeah, yeah. Jared is not surprised that I called my uh, e-discovery newsletter the gold standard. <laughs> Are we talking about like a print newsletter, no, Daniel, no, from no. back in the day? Is this something like stone tablets you were, <laughs> yeah, right, you were carving? Right. No, no, not quite. Not quite. It, it was papyrus, though. Um, uh, Chris, uh, I, I, I love talking to you. I love hearing your stories. And uh, and Jared is 100% right. Uh, the passion in what you do is so evident. And uh, our listeners are very lucky to have had the opportunity to listen to you. Chris Haley, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on BDO's Legal Tech Talk podcast. If you're enjoying these podcasts, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for more episodes. Head over to BDO.com for a list of all our episodes, transcripts, resources cited, and links on how to get in touch with us and continue the conversation. Until next time, this has been another episode of BDO's Legal Tech Talk.